Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Noah, joined today by Christine. Hi. And Crystal. Hello. And in some sense, today, we're kind of recording... This episode has a particular pre-apocalyptic feeling because... We're recording today on the topic of abortion access and care in the United States. And by the time this show comes out in a few days, the landscape may well be very different as the most anticipated decision of this Supreme Court term is the possibility, uh, and with the court that we have the near certainty that they will overturn Roe v. Wade and put the decision on abortion rights kick that back to the states, most of which have already said at this point that they're interested in restricting or banning it altogether. There's been recent rulings by the Iowa Supreme Court overruling their own precedent that there is no fundamental right to abortion in the state constitution. There are many states that never took the laws off the books uh, that criminalize or ban the practice. And we wanted to talk about not just, obviously, the the issue at hand, but this is punching out, this is a show about work, how the right to an abortion, the right to reproductive health care, how that affects the working class, and um, basically where the labor movement, both in and outside of the repro rights uh, movement, stands in relation to this. And we've got two excellent guests to help us parse that. So let's just start by talking a little bit about what the landscape looks like right now, possibly a few days before everything comes tumbling down. If, uh, if you all want to give kind of an overview of, of where things stand at the moment. Um, so from a policy perspective, like the like important thing to stress is that in most of the country right now, um, you can still get an abortion. There are ways to, to get abortions in places where you don't have clinics. We can talk about that later. Um, but the legal status of Roe is unchanged. Um, what happened a couple months ago was a draft opinion was leaked um, that essentially, even though it was only considering, um, I think it was a 15-week ban, was the um, the actual precedent that, that they were... Uh, or not precedent, the actual like law that they were considering, but the draft opinion is essentially stated that they were that they were invalidating previous precedent. That yes, the 15 week ban is fine, but using that as a jumping off point to just say actually every ban is fine, mm-hmm. um, and that we are gonna that the Supreme Court is no longer going to operate under the precedent set in not just Roe v. Wade, but Planned Parenthood v. Casey um, and Whole Women's Health v. Hellerstedt, et cetera, et cetera, um, because the the rollback of the precedent of the undue burden is invalid, a- according to this draft opinion, and the precedent of like a person's right to privacy was not valid. So that's like where we are. We'll see what the actual final 
decision is. I think it's very likely that they will, that it won't be as extreme as what was written. Um, and it will go back to this sort of death by a thousand cuts, one regulation after another, testing each one just to make it as expensive and difficult to operate um, an abortion uh, clinic as humanly possible. Um, which even if that's the case, even if, if this is not a full rollback of, of Roe v. Wade and is just a further decimation of the undue burden precedent of Planned Parenthood v. Casey, that's not a victory. That's still, it is just going to continue to get worse um, and roll back more and more until there is no like functional right to abortion. Because like we, there is already not a functional right to abortion in a lot of this country, regardless of its legal status. Like, for example, when I was pregnant, I was living in central Pennsylvania and I had to drive three hours to get an abortion um, in Maryland. Like I already had to cross state lines. And that was when um, abortion was entirely legal in my state. Um, so they're going back to this death by a thousand cuts um, style of, of abortion regulation and making it easier to pass um, these little titchy little one by one um your grass has to be a certain height, your hallways have to be a certain width, things like that. Um, like either way, it's going to end up in the same place. Yeah, it's difficult to address the landscape of abortion access right now because as of the recording, Roe hasn't fallen technically, but it, it has though because there are so many places where you can't access an abortion. And this was, it, it was honestly this bad like a year ago it's been worse since uh, we saw some new bans like SB8 in Texas, and we're seeing clinics that are stopping their abortion provision. Like there are Planned Parenthoods that have stopped providing abortions in certain states, sometimes without even saying anything, which is terrible. So it, it just it feels like it gets worse every single day, and I I think I feel a little less. I mean, at, at the time of the recording. I think I feel a little less hopeful than Christine, where I feel like they might just be as extreme as we're expecting. Oh, absolutely. And like, I really just don't have any faith in them. And I feel like we are going to see the worst case scenario. Um, I hope we don't. It's, it's pretty telling that like on any given day, you don't even know what abortion access is going to be like, because I, uh, I provide abortions in uh, both Western Pennsylvania, but then also in the Midwest as well via telehealth. And like even just yesterday, I was talking to someone who was in Iowa and they were, their appointment was rescheduled from another clinic. And I was like, well, why is that? And then I looked it up and, and you can't, it's, I, I, and I work in this field and you can't even keep up half the time because every day it's like new news, new bands, new reversals it's just oh it's bad <laughs> it's access is I mean, bad i think that's also very much part of the point is that this like information overload they want you to feel like uh you don't have a right to an abortion even if it is legal um mm -hmm. technically like you the i mean it's exactly it's the same tactic that crisis pregnancy centers use um to like to delay care because they they want to to delay you from going to an actual abortion clinic until you're not legally able to access abortion. Um, or they will tell you, oh, you're actually too far along. You can't get an abortion anymore. Um, and they'll just straight up lie to patients. And I think it's a, it's a, it's the same tactic. It's like the, 
example that you that you see a lot about like oh republicans are so like they don't care about science and like it's like the ectopic pregnancies law in ohio i think and maybe some other places about re reimplanting ectopic pregnancies which like is not a real thing like it's not medically possible but that's not the point and like republicans don't think that it's the point like they do it because they want people scared um and they want people to like to question whether they would be able to access care. Here in Pennsylvania, we have um, a gender selective abortion ban. So uh, like if you uh, are having an abortion for the reason of gender selection, like that's not legal. And like, that's not an enforceable law. And but it's designed. Like who does that? It's not even like a real thing. The whole purpose of it, it's scaremongering or fearmongering against um, Asian women um, because of like the stigma of, of like mm-hmm. gender selection. And so the whole point of it, it's not enforceable. It's not real, but it's to scare people and to make them feel like if they talk to their doctor and they want to, to have an abortion and like the fetus is, is female, then like people are going to think that they're doing it for that reason. And then that it won't, that they'll like go to jail. Um, and with all of those, especially like what are called reason bans, which is bans on a specific reason for having the abortion, that's the point of all of those method bans. It's the same thing. It's just trying to make people to create that that atmosphere of fear around mm-hmm. um, around accessing care, so that people are just too confused and they they want them to just give up, so that even if they are legally allowed to have an abortion for whatever reason that they're too scared to, to do it because people do get prosecuted for these things. I think you're touching on another important point, Christine, too, with, with what you were saying is that these bans, like abortion bans and abortion restrictions are racist and they're misogynist. I think it, a lot of it is about punishing people who can get pregnant and then also punishing just, you know, um, you know, people of various races, like black women and, um, and really any people of color. It's about that at its core. Yeah, it's about controlling the bodies of of working people. Like that's the point. I, I can't believe I'm hearing this. Friend of the show, Neil Gorsuch, would never try to control the bodies of a working person. I mean, never. his most famous decision wasn't totally about what the temperature of a working person's body should be when uh, when he's alive or not. Sorry, wasn't it, was it Gorsuch or or um, Kavanaugh who one of their cases when they were in a lower court was forcing. Uh, a woman to have an abortion because she was um she had like uh a, like she was disabled oh i think God. yeah that's like a i think it was kavanaugh maybe um but it was straight up like uh this woman's parents were like oh you're not like mentally fit or whatever to have a kid so we're gonna force you to have an abortion um so they I really just was... go in any direction as long as they're oh, well, kavanaugh by the way yeah because that and like that's always what the thing is is that it's never oh, abortion is like terrible. Like it's always, no, we want these specific people having babies. We want like people of color to be having kids so that they can create new workers. And we want white women having kids so that they can like, you know, 14 words, et cetera. Like that's their, their express purpose is control um, to control the population and to control the, the bodies of working people. Again, there's a huge connection between uh, anti-abortion and white supremacy. I mean, yeah. And like just the, and eugenics, like broadly, like they're, it's always the same people who are advocating against abortion, who are the same people who are advocating for like forced sterilization of 
um, people in women's prisons and like because they're undesirable like it's just it's the 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 venn diagram is a circle every time well and and specifically you're talking about you know the pro-life movement or or the anti-abortion movement really having these uh um being a, a racist and misogynist movement then you know i'm from puerto rico and uh i bet a whole mm-hmm. lot of uh anti-abortion people were perfectly well i don't i don't know exactly what they're how they would phrase these feelings but somehow i don't think they had a huge problem when puerto rican women were being forcibly sterilized you know um also birth control too yes that's mm -hmm. where birth control comes from yeah birth Mm -hmm. control was experimented on puerto rican women Mm -hmm. this was before it was like the way it is today where like the dose is way Mm -hmm. lower like they were getting like experimental doses Mm -hmm. of hormones yeah and what's crazy what's wild about that is that you know on the that that kind of fact is often used as a slam on reproductive rights you know that reproductive the the reparate rights movement is racist because it supported this and blah blah but if you look at what the island what resulted from that the organizations that came out of that on the island are extremely pro-choice because again that forced sterilization was about controlling bodies. It had nothing to do with what the actual outcome of it was. It was, we can do this to you because no one will care. And, this and is... Alito's hack opinion is is built out of the same cloth. Mm-hmm. And I, and you know, I'm not a lawyer. I, I probably, but I feel pretty confident saying that it's a hack opinion because it's Sam Alito and the man is a hack. <laughs> we We have a weird line of insulting Supreme Court justices on this show, so... Oh yeah, let's so, do it. Oh, all of mm-hmm. them, one thousand percent. Yeah, no, just not a good one in the bunch. Nope. Even Sotomayor complimenting who was she complimenting? Uh, Clarence Thomas. Clarence oh, Thomas. No, 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 what no, are no, you no, doing? no, no bananas. That was so bananas. I the first one, the first like line that I read, I was like, oh, this isn't actually that bad because it read to me as very like um, passive aggressive. Mm. Um, it was like. And so when I first read it, I was like, oh, this isn't like that big of a deal. She's just saying like, oh, you know, he's very, he's very dedicated in the way that like my mom will insult like my friends um, (laughs) that she doesn't like. Like it was, it felt very that, but then I read the whole quote and I was like, oh no, no, that's really, oof, tough. We, we can no longer say what, uh, what we hope happens to a Supreme Court on this show without getting (laughs) fined. So Oh yeah, they have more protections than everybody else. Yeah, they're yeah, despite, what matters right now, even though they're leaving I mean, the, the like, dust. The like, they, oh, how dare they protest outside of, um, outside of Supreme Court justices' uh, homes? Like when I was a kid, we lived a couple houses down from a doctor who wasn't even an abortion provider. He was a research, a birth control researcher, and somebody found out where he lived, and they protested outside of his home for months, and like his whole family had to move, and it's like. Neil Gorsuch does not care about that guy. Um, Neil Neil Gorsuch only cares about himself and like his Mm -hmm. family. Well, and and particularly for Brett Kavanaugh to be annoyed about this is is certainly a choice. When you know Christine, I I think it's Blazy. I may have messed that up the last time I was on the show talking about it, but Christine Blazy Ford had to like move four times because Mm -hmm. people wouldn't stop sending her death threats and coming to her house and so on. Where was her protection? Where is any of our protection? We're all like, I'm in the hundred mile uh, zone now. And oh, we all the are. Supreme Court <laughs> just said Bo- Border Patrol can just walk in any second 
and there's no remedy for that. I can't do anything about that. So I yeah. mean, and they they just like buffer zones for clinics, like speaking specifically about mm-hmm. abortion, like they invalidated like buffer zone laws and they said, no, you can like, you can do whatever you want. You can scream however much you want um, at patients trying to access abortion care. Um, like they, yeah, it's just so naked and blatant. And one thing I want to point out too, is a lot of abortion providers also provide hormone therapy. So we're seeing like trans patients are being harassed by the same people. And I just, it's always oh, the same people. It's the yep. same people. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, when we talk about, like, how, you know, our struggles are connected and intersectionality and whatever, it's like, no, like, it's not just a theoretical thing, like, our struggles are connected, they are one and the same, that, like, bodily autonomy and self-determination, um, our enemies are the same, so it is one struggle, one fight, 1,000%. I, I actually want to drill down a little bit on something you said, Christine, here, because You've talked about the approach of kind of, you know, taking a thousand cuts to it. So banning buffer zone laws Uh, in Texas, I think it was that I hate to use this word for this, but first thought up, I guess I'll say instead, requiring physicians to have attending privileges, things like that, you know, like putting all of these onerous requirements to be able to have abortion access. And spoiler alert, you're both, uh, you know, organizers in this movement. So I guess my question is, why is this approach? perhaps more effective or why has it been more effective than when they've tried to just for an outright ban is it purely because of the the legal framework or is the effectiveness how do i put this like is there a cultural aspect to that effectiveness is what i would ask i have an immediate response it's okay because it's it's not as extreme, so the liberals and the Democrats won't do anything about it. Exactly. It's so it it I think it's several things. One, for a long time, people just considered Roe to be settled law. Like there was not it was always going to be something like this brought in through Planned Parenthood v. Casey. Like, um, thanks, Bob Casey Sr., beautiful Pennsylvanian um person who I I'm not going to swear about <laughs> like, because it is also like this attitude of, I mean, and this goes into like what the purpose of this podcast is, is that if we just try hard enough, if we just like, it's it's the same way that they treat voting law, like voting rights stuff that it's like, Oh, like, yeah. Okay. It's like harder to vote, but like, it's really important. So we will just, you know, get a bunch of lawyers and like walk people through voter registration or whatever. And like they, this attitude of like, well, if they're going to make it harder, we're just going to figure it out. We're just going to keep figuring it out. Um, and we're not going to spend the time and the energy to like build a broad based movement to oppose these completely. And because people are so scared of sounding like they are pro abortion that they they fall into the Republican like trap of it's like, you know, it's respectability stuff. It's like, Oh, these are restrictions for women's health or whatever. These are like safety things. Um, And they just don't see because the people who are making these laws and the people who are choosing not to fight those laws are not the people who are affected by them. Um, They're not the people who understand what it is like to sit in a clinic room and have to get read a bunch of lies about 
you know, informed consent around abortion. They're not the people who have to go through the ultrasounds and that stuff. Like, um, so they don't see it as a big deal because like, like with voting rights, it's like, oh, what? You just register to vote. It's not that hard. Oh, you just stand in line for four hours. Like, what's the problem? Like, if you cared about voting, then like you would be able to stand in line for four hours, not thinking about like childcare and work and stuff like that, because they, they know that they'll always be able to get around those restrictions. And so they, it's just not a consideration for them. And it hasn't been for so long. Planned Parenthood v. Casey was like 1993 or four. Um, and they just gave up the ghost entirely. And we're like, well, okay, we'll figure it out. We will rebuild our clinics with wider hallways. We will find these little legal workarounds um, to like keep providing care. And in some ways that's like heroic and beautiful. And in a lot of ways it's a problem. And it's like, what has led us here that we didn't take that first, um, those first cuts seriously. Yes, And we didn't like, I say we, I was like not born, Um, but like that the movement broadly just decided you know, we'll soldier through and eventually they'll be nice to us. We'll show that we're going to follow all of their stupid little rules. And eventually like all of these old men are going to die out and it's going to be fine. And it's like, well, it's 30 years later, bro. Like it's not happening. We're in a worse place than we were. That is a perfect segue into our next segment where we'll drill down into the role of the reproductive rights movement and the ways in which perhaps they have failed to meet the moment. We'll be right back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm still Noah, joined by Christine. Hey. And Crystal. Hey. In our first segment, we talked about the uh, decision, the Supreme Court decision that's kind of hanging over all of our heads, the draft opinion a few months ago in which Sam Alito took a blowtorch to establish president and uh, various Supreme Court decisions to basically say that abortion should be kicked back to the states, many of which have already made very clear their intentions to not allow it to continue happening. And in, and as we closed out that segment, we were talking about sort of the lack of an aggressive defense, a full-throated defense of abortion rights by mainstream organizations. And what we like to do, since we are joined by to organizers in the reproductive rights movement, talk to them to get their inside experiences on this very subject. Um, So I believe you both work or have worked for major providers, right? Am I correct in thinking this? Yes, I worked for the advocacy arm um, of Planned Parenthood, so I've never worked in a clinic, but yes, I worked for Planned Parenthood. I'm a clinic worker. Uh, in an abortion clinic, and uh, and then I, I I do a lot of other abortion related things. <laughs> yeah. So, so you are the perfect two people to talk about. As we were beginning, Crystal, I think you had you were going to start to say this, and I said, yeah, we'll segue into that in segment two. Um, but we were talking about the role of mainstream organizations and kind of you know how we got here. 
So if you want to talk about that, I I think a lot of our listeners maybe don't have that. You know, they're people who keep up with the news. They're informed. They wear cool clothes. They're great people. <laughs> they have the best dogs and everything. But I suspect they may not all have the same lens that you've got for kind of analyzing the situation. And they may think of some of these organizations as, you know, basically like it, it's cool. I give my money here and I, I contribute here. And I think what you're about to say, you know, would be very eye opening. So, Crystal, if you just want to talk about the thing I stopped you from talking about last second, go right ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so I was talking about how major organizations like Planned Parenthood and NARAL have become really obsessed with following these death by a thousand cut laws, sort of like, I don't even, it's very liberal and Democrat, like they go low, we go higher, whatever, I don't even, what, what, I don't even remember yeah. what she said, but um, where it's like, okay, we're going to comply and we're going to do this, but these are bad laws that even the most mild restriction is still devastating because it's like, oh, well, it's just a 24-hour waiting period. And it's like, well, how about you go on the phone with somebody who can't stop throwing up because they have hyperemesis with their pregnancy and tell them they have to wait 24 hours for a very easy, simple routine procedure that will stop them from throwing up constantly. So, you know, like, how about you do this? So even like the most mild restriction is, is still damaging. And I wish these organizations did not comply in the way that they are, but we're seeing Planned Parenthoods quietly stop providing abortions. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we need right now. We need to be unapologetically providing the care that people need because the fact is without access to abortion, people are going to die. And you know, I spent probably some years trying to be more mild about it, perhaps. But now at this point, it's like, this is a critical moment. And I don't want to see anyone get hurt. And people are already getting hurt. I mean, look look at Lizelle Herrera in Texas and how, you know, exactly. she was jailed for no reason. She didn't even break any laws. It was just people's ignorance on the topic that put her there. And and we're we're seeing people get hurt. And I, the last thing that I want, is for us to have a Civita. But I feel like that's the direction in which we're going. And I'm sorry, when I say that, I, I'm referring to Civita in Ireland. Uh, she was pregnant and she needed an abortion and she was denied an abortion and she tragically died of sepsis. And that's tragic. You know, her husband and her children lost their wife and their loved one and their, their parent. And we cannot let that happen in the United States. And I really wish that some of the major organizations that had the power weren't so afraid of the lawsuits, weren't so afraid of the Republicans and the conservatives and the laws. Exactly. And we're like looking and saying, we don't want anyone to die or suffer and anyone to lose a loved one. And I just wish that's what I was seeing and it's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing it on like a grassroots level with these with like certain amazing org organizations. Like I don't want to imply that uh, some people aren't doing everything that they can because I see so many amazing organizations doing everything that they can. But it is not the ones that people are donating to like Planned Parenthood. It's a failure to understand how we won this stuff in the first place. We can talk about how horrible Margaret Sanger was. She also, really importantly, was anti-abortion. Um, but the way that we got 
like birth control and 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 like repealed like Comstock laws and stuff was because she would provide information pamphlet and whatever and go to jail and the birth of the like repro movement has always been oh we are going to do this anyway we are going to continue to provide care we are going to give people the information that they need and like put me in jail go for it absolutely that attitude is like entirely what's called for because like we need people to understand the reality of of what this looks like that it's not oh this is another restriction or like oh people are just going to have to drive further or whatever that like the people who are passing these laws the people who are enforcing these laws are evil they are doing harm and they want they don't care um if and when we die like there i've you know been a clinic escort i've been a patient like i've been an active abortion advocate for a long time and like i've been toe to toe with these people and they think that we are the devil they straight up do um like the people who protest at our clinics like they think that that we are satan uh incarnate and like showing people that ugliness that it's not just oh we have a difference of opinion but it's that these people want to do us harm they want to do harm to our patients they want to do harm to our providers like i think it is incumbent upon us in this moment to demonstrate that harm and to say all right yeah if it's a choice between continuing to provide care and like saving lives and then possibly risking jail time like I'm going to make that choice. And I know that I'm saying that as somebody who's not a provider and I totally get that. This is like, you know, peanut stand it's or peanut gallery, <laughs> whatever. Like, but that is the only way that we've ever gotten anything. Um, and this like failure to understand the urgency of, of this moment is, I mean, it's just a death knell to me. And like, I mean, Crystal was saying like this, adherence to these regulations and restrictions like an example that i is heartbreaking but really important for people to know is that organizations like the national abortion federation when i don't actually remember which state it was but like there was a state that required a mandatory ultrasound um and the naf which provides funding to clinics which is different from the national network of abortion funds <laughs> really importantly but the national abortion federation they required an unnecessary and not legally required second ultrasound for people getting um abortions with with fun, like with clinic at clinics that were funded by NAF and there is just this attitude of we're going to prove ourselves that is so nasty and just not rooted in care at all and it's not even rooted in an understanding of politics or like how things happen. Like we don't, we can't be leading from behind here. We have to be on the knife's edge. Like we ha because if not, like people are going to die. Like I think all the time about my pregnancy experience, I aborted at um, like seven and a half, eight weeks. Um, and being pregnant when I didn't want to be was physically horrible. It was a horrible experience. And like, I was able to get care. I had to drive three hours. I had to pay a bunch of money. I had to get a hotel. Um, and I was able to do that because I had really good friends and a good job. But like, if I had not been able to do that, I know that I would not have continued my pregnancy. And like, I would have found something. I would have done something. And I don't know that if I would have been alive at the end of it, but I would not have been pregnant. Um, and that's the reality that faces so many people. Like, 
this is a, uh, a story from a friend of mine who works at a phone line for uh, an abortion fund. And like the number of stories that she's told that follow this general structure is like somebody calls, needs help, and they say, okay, we can give you $300, $400 to help you pay for it. We don't have the funding to give you transportation or anything like that. And then the person at the end of the, at the other end of the phone says, what do I have in my kitchen? Mm-hmm. What do I have in my house? What can I find? Because the feeling of being pregnant when you do not want to be is so violent that you're willing to do whatever you can. That's the reality that we're facing. And that experience should be met with um, an equal amount of urgency on the side of people advocating for abortion rights. I'm actually struck by one point in each of what uh, you're raising. Uh, and since Christine, uh, you you just finished. The thing that I'm struck by there is something that I wanted to shout out, punching out contributor Karen, who said this, I think, the very first time we covered this subject. And it's it's one of her favorite points to make about it, which is that overturning Roe v. Wade is not going to end abortions. It is going to end safe legal ones for people who don't have access. And it is also not going to end abortions for the rich. And, you know, we've had for years, we've had cases of politicians, weirdly, a lot of Republican ones that are pro-life publicly, forcing their mistresses to get abortions Mm -hmm. and and so on. You know, like suddenly when it's about control over their lives, suddenly they're not as pro-life or as as anti-abortion as they are politically speaking and that i just wanted to make sure that we we mentioned that on the record because it's been such a through line of the episodes we've done and then crystal um the thing that i'm struck by and and something that i was kind of hoping to get to talk about a little bit more you talked about the division between grassroots and leadership in the reproductive rights movement and that that's a huge thing right now you've got a number of affiliates for planned parenthood and the Guttmacher or Guttmacher yep, Institute unionizing against the wishes of their employers, which, as you mentioned, you know, these are mainstream organizations that are refusing to voluntarily recognize that their employees want a union and they want a union for um, uh, sort of the traditional labor reasons. But also, it seems because they're kind of tired of leadership slow walking mm-hmm. this aggressive counteraction uh that as christine you were saying is needed so i um i know that there's something else you're also going to want to talk about but i would love to hear more from the both of you on sort of that area of the movement right now yeah i'm really lucky to be a unionized uh, abortion care worker and it is very important for those providing this healthcare during this time to be in solidarity with another and to be supported because it is very difficult to do right now. And we need support more than ever because the job is harder now than it, than ever. I mean, it's been hard and abortion access has been degraded like over the years, but we're really reaching like a, a really dire point right now. And I, everybody right now is doing risk assessment and, you know, workers right now are like, what do we need? right now in order to survive. And like, and that's different than some of these organizations. So abortion funds are doing that right now too. And, and, you know, they have less power and less influence and less, less kind of like legal support necessarily than like compared to like 
Planned Parenthood or Guttmacher or NARAL, some of these organizations. Like, And everyone at every level is doing risk assessment right now and doing what is best for themselves. And then you have the workers, too, who are kind of looking at and what do we need in order to do this work? Because I can tell you that every worker is – we're dedicated to our patients. But we can't do the work that we need to do if we don't have the strength and the well-being. So, you know, in my union, we're like, what do we need to do this work and to and to kick butt? You know, what do we need? And it's so important for us to get what we need. And the best way to do that is with a union. Um, we're, you know, we're making strides. We're improving things. Uh, other repro unions are improving things. And... Thank God. <laughs> Thank God for the unions. Thank God for my union. Thank God for other unions in this area. Because we need we need the workers to provide abortions. I think because I also um, had the experience of, of organizing an, an, an advocacy affiliate, so not a clinic. Um, and what really struck me through all of it was that our, even though like we were paid lower than people in similar jobs across the state, like we made less money, we had worse healthcare, you know, all of that aside, like that was a problem and that was important. But also so much of the reason that we decided to organize was was so that we would have a voice in the direction of the organization and that we would be able to push back on what we saw as bad decision making and like a failure for of the a failure of our board to like understand what was at stake and like to be able to have some some kind of voice instead of executing somebody else's plan um to to have a voice in like forming that plan um and that was like in every like session that we had every every meeting that we had like that was a huge focus because we were so scared because we knew we were the ones talking to patients we were the ones like in community and we knew how bad it was. And the folks on on the board who like made the broad strategic decisions for the org um, and the people in like senior leadership of the org, like were not, they were not our patients. They were not people who had the on the ground understanding of what is actually at risk and of like what a good path forward is because these orgs have been operating under the same game plan for decades at this point and they have lost everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've lost their, how we got here, you know, and like making sure that like repro, like workers in, like in both clinics and in advocacy are able to speak out about like what is actually going on um, instead of just being told to like, oh, like we're going to tell you what to do. And like, we know what we're doing. And it's like, girl, no, you don't. <laughs> like, yeah. You can't um, like this is you're the problem. Um and it's really it's it is really heartbreaking. The people right now who know what what is needed to get it done are the people talking to the patients, whether it's the clinic workers or it's the advocacy workers. Like we know we're at the front lines and we're experiencing it. And we're also the patients ourselves, just like Christine's been saying, you know, like the workers in the clinics and the advocacy workers, we're patients too. And we know. Yeah. Almost just to provide a, a little bit further context. This is from actually almost two years ago to the day. Um, a new Republic article by Melissa, Melissa Jira Grant, June 18th, 2020, called a worker uprising at Planned Parenthood about the New York affiliate, um, which had as a response, it seems to being uh, a unionizing effort was was folded into a larger affiliate 
but you're talking about the fact that it's more it's not just about labor concerns though those are important that it's also about having a bigger voice in determining the direction of the organization sure enough the letter that this collective of of planned parenthood of greater new york staff sent to their own board they cite i'm quoting here from the article citing alleged abusive behavior and financial malfeasance a collective of current and former staff of planned parenthood's largest affiliate has called for the immediate removal of its CEO, Laura McQuaid. Staff say in her two-year tenure, McQuaid has created a culture of fear and intimidation. Their specific concerns include years of complaints from staff about issues of systemic racism, pay inequity, and lack of upward mobility for Black staff, as well as dozens of staff members who have witnessed McQuaid yell, berate, slam her fist, verbally abuse, humiliate, and bully employees. All of this, they say, fundamentally threatened the fiscal and operational viability of Planned Parenthood's largest affiliate, and it's 900 employees. So you've got a pretty clear statement there from unionizing workers mm-hmm. that they want a bigger role. I mean, I'm I'm very familiar with being a non-union employee in a job that normally is unionized. And um, it, it is very striking to be able to talk to somebody who does have a union and does have those labor protections. And basically how much more they're allowed to mouth off and you know, meanwhile, you're you're sitting there thinking, well, uh, do I really want to pick this fight? Is, are they going to be nice about this kind of thing? So definitely, you know, it's a, it's a very different industry I'm in, but I understand what this letter is talking about. I get that sense of feeling powerless and, and bullied and humiliated by your bosses and wanting to have some way to strike back. I mean, and I think that the, like, the culture thing at Planned Parenthood, like, folks may be familiar, maybe not, with um, what happened with Dr. Wen, um, who was the um, president and CEO of Planned Parenthood for a minute there a few years ago. And now she's like a, whatever, we don't need to talk about what she's doing right now. But it, these things go hand in hand. This lack of understanding of of like what we need to do to protect abortion access goes hand in hand with being a terrible boss and like this like egotistical focus on thinking that like she had she knew the right way to do things um by like decentering abortion and trying like because that was her thing was like oh we want to be community health centers that also provide abortion because we want to depoliticize abortion which was a failure to understand that abortion is necessarily political and it went hand in hand with her treating her employees like garbage and like because and i i think these things are one thousand percent connected and like when we think about the people, these bad bosses, I have had them um, in repro and like the fundamental thing is that they think they're right. And so they think that they can do um, that, like these these workers, these uppity workers who like think that they know what they're talking about, like they don't know, I know. And so I'm going to do whatever I can in my position as their boss um, to make them do exactly what I want them to do. And like the vision that she had, the vision that even all of the little petty tyrants around the country um, that run repro orgs, either clinics or advocacy um, orgs, like have that same failure because those are the people who succeed in repro, um, unfortunately. And like, yeah, they just, they, they go completely hand in hand because it's also, and they're so quick to go to the like, oh, if you really cared about this, you would work, you know, 60 hours a week making $35,000, $40,000 a year. When I first started working at Planned Parenthood as an organizer, I made $32,000 a year um, in 2017. That's bananas. <laughs> like, 
But like, that was always the attitude was that like, oh, like if you cared enough and it's like, I'm doing this because I care, I'm trying to make this organization better because I care. Um, and the response is always just, you know, disrespectful and like, uh, yeah, a failure to understand, to actually like meet the the moment and like support the people who are closest to the issue. I just don't get it. Cause like, wouldn't you want your healthcare assistant walking into the room to be so well rested and so like taken care of and fed and feeling good. Like, you know, when I walk into a room and talk to my patient, I want to be in peak condition for them. You know what I mean? Like I want to be able to turn up for them. And if you have exhausted work, like who wants an exhausted healthcare worker? Like yeah. I'm not a patient, maybe the bosses do, but like, if you're a patient, you want, you want the person doing your vitals to be. I mean, I think of it as, as well, like, as so connected to like the the teachers union um movement like i look with so much admiration and jealousy at like the chicago teachers union with um the la teachers like because they also have this understanding of that it is not just about their own labor and like the conditions of their labor it's also about their students um it's about like their communities and so for workers in the repro movement like all of us, in my experience, have that focus that like, it is not just about like, yes, I deserve to be paid a livable wage for the work that I'm doing. I deserve to have healthcare and I deserve to have security, but also so do my patients. So do like the people that I serve. So do our patients. And I, I look very much to, to the teachers union movement, the like militant understanding that like, it is not just about one workplace. It's about all workplaces. It's about creating conditions for people to live safe and healthy lives inside and outside our clinics. And, and certainly another similarity there that you're, you're both bringing up is the fact that, you know, teachers are also often have their mission used against them. You know, the, if you really cared yeah. about your students, then you would work 60 hour weeks making basically nonprofits. Yep. And, and something that another point that actually this time it's, your usual host on Punching Out Ryan likes to point out is that this is something that we do in inversion to the meaningfulness of jobs. You know, the people feeding you, the people teaching you, the people providing you healthcare are very, very often horribly underpaid, horribly overworked, and and mistreated across the board. And well, you know, as as you all are saying, it's no different inside this movement that has progressive cred to an extent. But yeah. internally, it's very different. It's important for me, I think, to make the point that we also see specifically in Repro that a lot of the folks that are in leadership are kind of anti-abortion. Um, so and true. Like, it is, they see it as like a necessary evil, you know? Um, and like the number of times that we have had or I'm, I don't work there anymore, but when I was, when I did work at the, the advocacy affiliate, like that we would have people on our board that would say things that were stigmatizing and awful, that we would have people in leadership of the org talk about abortion in a way that was not only just not affirming, but also it, it showed that they had a distaste for our patients. And that like, that is, I think, true across the board in nonprofits. That's not unique to Repro people who are in leadership, like they make more money than we do. And they have this distance from our patient base and they don't, they don't like it. 
they they want to you know have their little Planned Parenthood pins so that they can like you know seem really cool at dinner parties or whatever but it has absolutely nothing to do with what it's actually like to provide care and their like their interest is in oh I stand with Planned Parenthood I wear pink like this is such a fun bubbly movement or or whatever and it's not rooted at all in the in the very serious labor intensive reality of providing abortion care being a patient because they just it's icky to them they don't like it i christine is saying it's the truth because i have seen abortion stigma perpetuated by repro employers and managers absolutely and, I, and i'm just like thank god the patients are talking to me and not them yeah cuz i mean imagine what what that would feel like like there's already so much stigma in the world around accessing care to to think that like oh even the people who are doing this think it's gross like it's just nasty man i think that is a perfect segue into what will be our third segment where we're going to cover people who don't treat abortion as icky or horrible and about as more than a necessary evil as a vital part of healthcare we'll be right back you're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome back to Punching Out. Still Noah over here, still joined by Christine. Hey. And Crystal. Hey. Over the past two segments, we've given you kind of a summary of where the state of abortion care and abortion access in the United States is. Uh, Newsflash, not great. But we wanted to end, as we traditionally do on Punching Out, by talking about a positive side, a more hopeful side for the future. And we ended the last segment talking about how even leadership in reproductive rights organization some uh, organizations, pardon me, sometimes considers abortion a necessary evil or icky or something they'd rather not talk about. And you know who is perfectly fine talking about abortion with this draft opinion on the way is labor unions, um, whom we we like them on the show. We're big unions fans. And we're talking here from In These Times. This is from June 8th of this year. C.M. Lewis wrote this article, How Unions Are Fighting to Protect Abortion Rights. And what's particularly striking about this article, two things. One, that some of these unions are issuing public statements on finding this draft opinion to be what it is, which is ridiculous and misogynistic and horrible and terrifying and all of those things. But unions that have historically taken a backseat when it comes to these issues and that there is even a Dr. Rebecca Given, a professor of labor and industrial relations at Rutgers, who mentions that unions can do a lot to protect abortion access, but also that, and this is a quote from her in the article, I think organized labor feels cornered by so-called culture war issues right now. Unions perceive rightly or wrongly that swing state voters line up with union leadership on economic issues, but there are questions about how they do when unions go beyond those and yet, despite that, you know, unions are willing to to issue these statements and unions that cover thousands upon thousands of workers. So I think that's that's undeniably a, a positive development 
we talked a little bit off air about why it's so important that unions specifically take a lead in defending abortion access. And uh, uh, Christine, I think you had a point to expand on this specifically. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like the the labor movement where in the U.S., like where the labor movement has failed over the last decades, really since its peak has been because they have shied away from anything that's not directly related to like wages, hours and conditions, like shop floor issues. Um, and it's been such a failure. And it's one of the reasons why the labor union movement has been so decimated, because you have to understand that when you are organizing working people, when you are organizing the working class, like you have to to do that, understanding their whole lives and understanding the issues that impact them when they go home, which is why like police violence is a labor issue. Um, healthcare is a labor issue. Queer rights is a labor issue. And the times where labor has gone hard on things like gay rights, um, like abortion care, anything like that, it's it has invigorated the labor movement. Like I, we talked um, before about like the Chicago Teachers Union in LA and that their vision for how they organize and what they organize around is inclusive of their home lives, of their students' home lives, because it's about organizing the working class. It's not just about, oh, this is my union that is just the people that I work with. And so seeing unions like take an actual stand on this is really beautiful because like organized labor has so much power in this country if they were willing to actually use it properly. Um, And things like organizing around abortion care, if you live in a state that doesn't have protections for, you know, gay workers, like that doesn't have non-discrimination clauses and stuff like that, your only protection as a worker is your union, um, is to work at a unionized uh, shop because they're the only people who are going to try to protect you. Um, And so it's the same with when it comes to abortion care. And then, and so unions need to understand that um, and we have seen, you know, AFL, Liz Schuler. we've seen SEIU, I mean, Mary Kay Henry sits on the National Board of Planned Parenthood. There has been more of a willingness to to go to bat for it, but like statements and whatever is fine. The thing that I want to see from unions is when they are at the negotiating table, making sure that their health insurance covers abortion. When they are lobbying, if you have employees, if you have workers that are capable of pregnancy in your union, Abortion needs to be a part of the things that you advocate for, along with raising the minimum wage, along with workplace safety, especially in states where uh, abortion is going to be criminalized. Unions need to take the time to figure out what they are going to do when their workers are arrested for driving out of state to get care. There needs to be a plan on behalf of organized labor or on the part of organized labor to to deal with that how are they going to protect people because if your job if you are a labor union your your job is to protect your people your job is to is to protect the bodies of working people and uh abortion bans run completely counter to that and like this failure to like shy away or that this instinct to shy away from you know quote quote unquote culture war issues it also means that you have all of these organized workers who are never spoken to by their union about anything that doesn't have to directly to do with their union and their workplace. There's a failure to educate workers on how their cause is tied up in the in the in other fights. Um, that the fight for voting rights, that the fight for um, freedom from police violence, 
um, that all of those are the same fight as as the fight for for fair and equitable working conditions. And when you when you don't have that analysis and you're just out there for yourself, like you are not just doing a disservice to your workers, you're doing a disservice to the broader movement. And as a final point, right, unions can win these fights in the longer term through contract fights and so on. But I guess the question now becomes in the short term, if, say, the axe comes down between us recording today and this episode coming out, what does that movement, what is the movement to protect the bodies of working people, what do they need? What are they looking for? You, you're both experienced organizers. You know what those needs are. And, you know, without sailing too close to the wind, what's necessary there? So one of the things that we need to make sure that people have access to is just the information in general about how to access an abortion. This is something that should be available to workers. Like unions should make sure that their workers know how to access abortion, um, whether it is traveling out of state, whether it is funds that they can reach out to for practical support and financial support. And also self-managed abortion as well, because it's so it's like a new frontier, but also we're going backwards in time. Like people are like, oh, we're going backwards. But it's not the same as it was in the 1950s and 60s. We really need to get rid of this image of the coat hanger because we do have medication abortion now. Um, I believe the FDA approved mifepristone for use in, I think, 2000. And the most effective combination uh, of medication abortion is a combination of mifepristone and misoprostol. So people need to know how to access that. And you can access that in the clinic, but there is also a way to access it in a more self-managed or telehealth way. So before I get into it more deeply, I do want to say, you know, as an abortion provider, I think that everybody deserves access to the abortion method of their choice when they want it and when they decide to access it. Um, I, you know, if, if people want to do the suction abortion, then absolutely they deserve to be able to to go to and access it as soon as possible. If they want to do the medication abortion, whether it's in clinic where you take the pill, at the, one pill at the clinic and the rest at home, they should be able to do that. If they just want to buy the medication online, they should be able to do that. I think whatever people want, they should be able to do. But if you're not able to get your, you know, let's say you want a suction abortion, but you can't access it because the clinic is six hours away, then there are ways to access it online. And uh, a really great way to to explore that is to go to websites like plancpills.org or another really great resource is I need an A.com where you can type in your zip code and you can find out what's available to you. And sometimes there's like a spectrum of access where sometimes you can access a doctor online where you can speak to them via telehealth. So you're still talking to a doctor, but they're mailing the medication to your house. Or there are ways to also purchase the medication online without talking to a healthcare professional. And what's really excellent about medication abortion is that it's a really safe and effective option. The combination of mifepristone and mesoprostol is typically about 98% effective. And, uh, you know, there's ways of getting multiple doses of mesoprostol, et cetera. 
you know, so it is very effective and the medication that you, if you were to access the medication online and have it mailed to you, it is very effective most of the time. And it is very safe as well. And even if you are just purchasing the medication and having it mailed to you, you can go to like howtoseabortionpills.com and you can read about the best way to use it and how to use it. I mean, there are those resources are out there and those resources need to be in the hands of the workers so that way they can safely have an abortion. Because like Christine was talking about earlier, you know, when you're in that situation and you need an abortion, you want an abortion and you're struggling to get one, you will do what you need to do. Or you know, maybe you will decide to not have an abortion, which is unfortunate because, you know, I I want people to consider that even if somebody does want to have children and they decide that maybe now might be the best time, when they have an abortion, they are, you know, building up the opportunity to have the family that they want in the future. So there are people who exist because of abortions. You know, we on this call or the listeners might exist because of an abortion, because people are building out the family and and setting up a family f- for success where they're able to make the choices that they want and build up the circumstances that they want. So anyways, so I'm just saying that if you are thinking about an abortion, you should be able to have that option available to you. But however you're accessing abortion, you know, if you can't get one and you and you want to self-managed abortion is a very safe route whether you're doing it via telehealth and accessing a provider or just having the medication mailed to you so it's safe and effective it's you know so strike the coat hanger from your mind we don't have to do that anymore you can get medication if you discover your pregnancy early enough it's available up until 11 weeks and if if there's anything that we heavily believe in in this show it's workers having every right to control their bodies at every stage of life Unfortunately, we are running up against the clock, so we're going to have to close it out for this week. Uh, But before we do that, I wanted to thank you both for being on. Um, Thank you so, so much. It's wonderful to hear from people who are in the movement, who are treating it as the, uh, who are treating abortion as the necessary part of healthcare, that it is uh, no ifs, ends, or buts about it. And having said that, for this week, I'm Noah. I'm Christine. <laughs> are you doubting who you are right now? I am Crystal. And this may have been punching out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.